Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's special episode of TCCP is none other than up-and-coming Oxford UCCE wicketkeeper, George Edwards. So George, first things first, mate, thank you very much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today for a chat about all things county cricket and the UCCE programme. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, no, um, not been too bad. I just got back home from uni on the uh, the Christmas break, so been enjoying some home-cooked food, um, having a lot of things done for me, so it's been pretty, pretty relaxed since being back home now. Well, I'm glad to hear that, mate. And yes, just for those who don't know, even though this won't be released around Christmas time, we are recording this just five days before Christmas. So we're feeling quite festive here at the County Cricket Podcast today. We're hoping that everyone out there has had a wonderful Christmas. And George, in terms of your your festive plans, have you got anything in, in the pipeline for the next yeah. five days? Yeah, well, just um, just before Christmas is uh, it's my birthday on Saturday. So I'll be, be 22 then. Uh pretty yeah no lucky lucky to have my birthday and christmas quite together uh and then other than that just a nice day at home i think we're going to the pub on christmas day which would be really really good um takes pressure off mum having to having to cook the christmas dinner a bit uh and then yeah that, that's pretty much it for us and our, our christmas plans fair enough it's at least you're, you're spending it with family as well it's always yeah. nice when you can do that i mean i'm doing the exact same this year always nice isn't it to spend that time with your loved ones, friends, family, and yeah, just have a nice get together. In particular, when you've been busy all year, just to have yeah. that that unity, that's well, family time, isn't it? So glad to hear that, mate. And in terms of the cricket as well, because it is the off season, but as we know, as soon as the first of January hits, the season suddenly fast approaches. In terms of your off season personally, how's it been going in terms of nets, in terms of training, in terms of conditioning? How have you found the off season yeah. so far? Off seasons, quite a weird one actually. Some people, some people either love it or they or they hate it. Um, me personally, it's just having getting back to the beginning of the off season, just hitting a few balls, getting back into the swing of things, and keeping up um, with my conditioning in the the gym and doing that a bit more often. Because I need to one thing I need to work on through my fitness levels, especially if I'm a wicket keeper. I need to need to be nice and strong. So, been a big focus on me going to the gym um, more than the cricket side of things probably. Fair enough. And that's important, actually, isn't it? To have focused training over the winter. I mean, every single professional sports person does this, whether it is fitness, whether it's a particular skill, a particular attribute, you've got to focus your training. It's something which is so important as a young professional to acknowledge and realise early on in your career. So fair play, mate. And fingers crossed the off-season goes well and yeah, you can be in good form heading into the summer yeah, of 2024. Fun sort of yeah at home now having a little break from cricket so got to watch what I'm eating and things like that so I don't completely lose all the work I've done well yeah I mean it's it's a funny time though isn't it Christmas I, I think you can afford yourself a little bit of of a, of a relax and some it's treats to be honest either. and then you've got the new year to do the runs the time trials the gym work so yeah, <laughs> again exactly. there's I think there's leeway to be honest in the festive period but before we jump the gun actually and we discuss the summer of 2024 and your aspirations and hope for the season. George, I wanted to transport you all the way back to the origins of your critting story, if I may. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Yeah, so I've played cricket since I was 
so I don't know how young, very, very little, where my parents used to take me to a little club in um, Hampshire called Alton, Alton Cricket Club. They play in the Southern Prem. Uh, so from there, I played probably till, you know, six, seven years old um, on Friday nights. And uh, I just absolutely loved it. First training session my parents took me to, I, I you know, been obsessed with it ever since, really. Um, I was also quite a keen footballer as well. But that that's um that's quite well in the past now. Um, but yeah, you know, just club cricket, quite similar to All Stars back in the day. That, that's probably my first memories. Oh, fair enough. Well, again, it's a lovely route into the game, isn't it? Via your family taking you down to your local cricket club, and then just finding a, a love and appreciation for the sport in those formative years and. In terms of those early days, I always ask this, right, if I can, because we are in the same age bracket, aren't we, George, when it comes to cricket? But did you ever play diamond cricket? That was probably the best, my favourite game growing up, actually, as a kid. Thank you. That one. Awesome game. Uh, doing a bit of coaching as well over the summer, I always bring that one out, um, bring that one out for the, for the younger ones. It is. It's brilliant, isn't it, to be honest? And whenever someone plays diamond cricket, in particular, when you do it as a coach, when you're a bit older, Everyone thinks they're a pro, don't they? No, that, that's the great thing about diamond cricket. Yeah. You feel like Virat Kohli every time I you walk our, out. Um, our coach getting involved actually, and just sent like getting very competitive over the diamond cricket. I think he was a professional in New Zealand at the time, and he's just hitting in six-year-old kids for six and loving every minute of it. So, it is a brilliant game, though, isn't it? And yes, for any aspiring coaches out there, get them playing diamond cricket is a fantastic way to to get into the sport. And in terms of those formative years, George, aside from family influences in those early stages did yeah. you have any idols any icons any influences in the wide professional game who you almost emulated in those formative years per se um yeah i used to be a used to be a little leg spinning all rounder so i'd say um the late shane shane warne was definitely up there i feel like that's the obvious one for a lot of leg spinners and a lot of cricketers but definitely shane warne um also admired um kevin peterson quite a bit with the batting just like the way so he really took when I was younger to the way he so aggressive and entertaining. Um, now I'd say probably my favourite player in the England team is going to be Harry Brook at the moment. I'd say um, I know my housemate's not going to be happy with that one because his um, his brother's Gus Atkinson. So I'll say I have to say Gus Atkinson as well. Fair enough. I mean, we've we've had Gus on the podcast as well. Lovely guest. He was, I think we had him on in 2021, so quite a few episodes back. But yeah, again, it's great to see him now excelling and succeeding. He's just accelerated so much in from like his breakthrough season in the 100 to now playing in the World Cup and things like that, which is really good to see. Um, also get quite a nice load of Surrey kit off my housemates, which I steal. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> he's, just, he's just brought home... Um, uh, Gus, Reese Topley, and he's got a Ben Stokes match-worn shirt as well from the World Cup, which is he's not showing with anyone. Yeah, and rightfully so, to be honest. That's quite a, <laughs> a prized piece of kit, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Flipping yeah. heck. Lucky for some, but yeah, he's great to see Gus just excelling on the international stage. And yeah, I think he does deserve a little bit of a mention, to be honest, because, you know, when we spoke to him on the podcast, he was just breaking through into the Surrey first eleven. And now he's bowling rockets in an England shirt. So quick shout out to to Gus Atkinson. But something stupid in the hundred, didn't he, last season? Like upwards of ninety-five. So yeah, very promising. And now he's just been named in the test squad as well. So hopefully he gets his chance there and does well. Absolutely. And yeah, he's a good first class cricketer, as anyone who's watched him for Surrey will be able to attest to. Got an excellent first class average 
in the championship over the course of these last two seasons. But in terms of those idols, then, that's very interesting because at the start of the podcast, George, I, I introduced you as a wicketkeeper, and yet none yeah. of those options are wicketkeepers. Gus is the same bowler. Shane Warne, absolute <laughs> legend of the game, the greatest leg spinner of all time, in my opinion. Anil Kumble, also up there in terms of that bracket. Then, of course, Kevin Peterson and Harry Brook, two very stylish batting options. But mm. in terms of keeping then, when did that journey start? How did you go from being a, a young leg-spinning all-rounder to taking up the gloves and becoming a wicketkeeper? Um, wicketkeeping's actually been picked up in the like last two two years. So if I take myself right back to my born legs, when I got the yips and literally couldn't land the ball at all. So I just became a batsman. And then to make myself sort of more selectable and to be honest, because, you know, fielding could be slightly boring at times, whereas if you're keeping, you sort of feel like you're always in the game. Um, so to make myself a bit more selectable for teams, I took on wicket keeping and it, it, it's come pretty, pretty naturally to me because I was a slip fielder. So I got good, good hands anyways. Um, but yeah, since then, I haven't just taken it up, really enjoy doing it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because you see, Quite a few players. I think Tom Cole Cavanaugh is one of them. Uh, he was just a, a batter and very recently started keeping, as far as I'm aware. I don't know, don't know if he's keeping before, but it seems he's just started really doing that as well. Well, yeah, that that's true. And another one is James Bracey. I always think of him as a good example because throughout the the Gloucestershire age groups, he was just a specialist bat, and now he's taken yeah. up the gloves. He's gone on to represent England in a Test match against New Zealand. So. Yeah, it is, it's incredible, isn't it, to be honest, in terms of the, the route that some players do take into oh, wicket-keeping. Yeah. For some, well, it's yeah. something which is almost like this vocation from a very early age. But a lot of players, as we've, we've both mentioned, do tend to pick it up at a later stage. And just before we do touch upon wicket-keeping in a bit more detail, because I love discussing the art form and it's always good to have a chat with wicket-keepers, you mentioned there about your bowling and you mentioned something called the yips. It's something which... We spoke about on the podcast an awful lot. Had a wonderful discussion with Freddie Heldrich of, of Northamptonshire yeah. about this particular issue which affects bowlers. It's something which in the past prevented me from becoming a seam bowler. I completely gave it up as a result of the yips. So, George, in terms of your experiences with the yips and what some people know as performance anxiety, it's where you literally cannot bowl a delivery. First yeah. and foremost, when did you find out, I suppose, that that was occurring in your game? Um, it just kind of happened out of nowhere, really. There was, funnily enough, winter nets, and I just, literally every ball I bowled was almost bouncing twice to the batsman. And I just found it so weird, because it wasn't sort of a lack of confidence or anything. It just really, I just couldn't land the ball anymore. And I'm still, to this day, not really sure why. Um, and then from that, when it just kept happening and happening, I was like, I'm going to have to give this up, I reckon, because I, I can't really see a way around it. Like I, I kept going at it for, for months and just couldn't couldn't let go of the ball. Um, and then, actually, yeah, I did. I gave Seam a go after that. Um, and then quickly realised it wasn't too good for my back. <laughs> so bowling altogether has just been, just been sidelined. Slightly getting it back though, my leg spin bowling in the bowling in the nets a bit. The Brooks boys, <laughs> very competitive. But yeah, no, it was really weird, and I can't I can't explain why it happened or how it happened. It's just just something that did. It is. It's very strange, isn't it? I mean, it's something that we we watch in in darts. It's known as dartitis, right? In terms yeah. of the 
the sudden onset of a player not being able to throw the dart properly. And obviously, we've seen it plenty of times in crickets. I mentioned there about Freddie. For example, he started experiencing it in the nets and in matches. It's horrible to see. Mm. It really is. And I do wonder, actually, whether or not there could be a bit more research into it. Because I suppose in a lot of cases, a lot of people just don't know where it originates from. It's very, very strange, isn't it? But it's something which... Uh, again, a lot of people do overcome. So if it is something that you do really have your heart set on, don't allow the yips to characterise your bowling. You can overcome them. We spoke to Freddie about this. And now look at him. He's in county yeah. cricket. He's playing for North Ants. He's bowling his left arm wrist spin beautifully. So again, it is a long process. It's a difficult process. But thankfully, it's something that you can overcome as a young bowler. But in like terms the, right, of... the right coaching as well would always help you get there as long as you've got the right right sort of coaching staff around you, which obviously Freddie's lucky to have at North Ants. Um, but someone on a, you know, it's just about bowling more and more balls and trying not to get yourself so let down by it because the more and the sort of lack of confidence you get from the yips, the worse you feel, the worse the ball's going to come out. Whereas trying to focus your mind on more positive things rather than the the negatives. Well, just to touch upon that, how do you actually go about doing that, George? Because this isn't just in terms of bowling, but just wider cricket, right? Yeah. We do know at times that cricket is a very, very rough sport. Okay, you do have your peaks, but you also have some very pronounced troughs over the course yeah. of your time, whether that's in club cricket or indeed at county cricket. How do you maintain that even keel and almost break the vicious cycle? Because as you mentioned, if you're low on confidence and you have poor performances, it just keeps on regenerating, doesn't it? Because poor yeah. performances reduces your confidence. Reduced confidence means that you don't perform to your best abilities. And once you start doing that, it just keeps going and going and going. So in terms of that psychological aspect of the sport itself, how do you maintain that calmness, that composure, that level-headedness in this yeah. game? That's that's. I think you always play your best cricket when you're confident, don't you? I think that goes without saying. And it is a sport which is so cruel at times where you know it's either you're scoring 100 and it's the best thing in the world or you're not doing so well so those peaks and troughs of confidence are, are really hard to overcome i'd say for someone like myself what i've done before is if i'm going through a rough patch it's just sort of take during the week just take taking your mind mind off of it a bit because if you let it if you're sitting there all week thinking about you know your performances and how you're not doing so well then it's only going to stress you out a bit more make you feel a bit worse and overthink things maybe so i just like to do other things you know socialize with my friends during the midweek if i'm going for a bit of rough patch while still you know not training training during the week if i'm in low form wouldn't be intense it'd be pretty relaxed not trying to overdo things not trying to work myself off my own head of them things aren't going the way i want to just so i'm in a good headspace for when it comes to a saturday in a league game um, and then you go in with a more of a fresh mind. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And again, it's different for different people, isn't it? There's yeah. individuality when it comes to regaining that confidence. So, for example, in this year's World Cup, Steve Smith was going through a little bit of a lean patch, and mm. his methodology for combating that was actually having pronounced net sessions. He'd do them for hours on end, hitting deliveries, really focusing on his technique, his temperament, and in terms of that composure at the crease. And for other people, it is just taking that step back and then bouncing yeah. back. So I think, again, that's something important to recognise 
for young cricketers who are just starting out on this journey. When you do have those rough patches, just do what suits you. It doesn't necessarily have to be what's best for other people. You've got to find that thing which tailors to your individual needs. And if you can do that, it yeah. really does set you on a very, very good step and it, and in it this might, particular sport. Yeah, it might take a bit of time to figure out what's uh, what, what the best method is for you. But once you do, then you're going to end up being more confident with your cricket and probably performing a bit better when you find out. And it's not just the mental side of things. It's, you could say that for anything in cricket, what works best for you. You've got to take the time to figure out what that is. 100%. Because, again, everyone's different. That is the great thing. That's why I love cricket, right, in comparison yeah. to, let's say, modern football, for example. Right, don't get me wrong, massive fan of Arsenal, love watching the Premier League and, of course, any other domestic competitions. But with football, there does seem to be a certain archetype, doesn't there, in terms of what makes a successful professional footballer. Whereas with cricket, it doesn't really matter what you like as a cricketer. Everyone has different techniques. Everyone has different methodologies. And you can still be successful in this game so that's what I really quite like about this sport and in terms of that psychological aspect George just one thing I did want to touch upon is nerves right and anxiousness because it is something which affects an awful lot of cricketers and mm. one of the most prominent examples that I can think of is A.B. de Villiers so I used to watch him whether it is for South Africa or for RCB in the IPL and they'd pan to him on the bench and his knees would be tapping. You could tell he was a little bit sweaty. There's perspiration plastered all over his face. He looked like the most nervous man on the planet. And then as soon as it was his turn to bat, he'd walk out into the middle, he'd smash a six, and all of a sudden, it was like a gladiator controlling right. the Colosseum. Completely. In terms of nerves, do you ever experience them, either when you're out there in the middle or indeed yeah. before you go out to bat? I think the worst, the worst ones, actually, when I experience most nerves would be waiting waiting to bat because you know you're not out there you're, you're looking at things people playing and missing wondering what's going on um and then probably the first first couple of balls my innings as well um to to get over that I, I kind of the way the way i go about it is try and look and look relax as relaxed as possible so it's kind of tricking your mind into being relaxed um that's not to say i'm not switched on because of my head i'm feeling like real like nervous and bit sketchy to get off the mark um but if you're looking relaxed you at least you're giving the the opposition you're not giving them that sort of satisfaction of you know they've got they've got a chance to get you out early here because you are looking nervous and timid other players I, I think of someone at my club called um he's gareth, gareth schroeder one of our south africans he he's the most fidgety person he's he's, he's quite marnus labashane-esque in that in that regard he's so fidgety and you can tell he's just i don't know whether it's nerves with him or not i think it is a bit but he, he yeah so you can go from again extreme extreme opposites and individuality with that but personally it's just about looking as relaxed as possible when i'm walking out whether it be like a sort of slower walk to the middle <laughs> or something like that um but yeah that's sort of how i trick my mind into feeling a bit less pressure and nervous well that's a very very interesting response because again i think it does come down to individuality Different yeah. players are different. And in terms of that composure, that calmness, that assurance at the crease, do you have any methods, any approaches that you utilise out in the middle to help you achieve that almost zen-like focus in the middle? Because a lot of cricketers, again, have different ways of, of doing that, don't they? Do you have one in particular which works best for you? I think it's not. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm very like sort of laid back. 
person when it comes to this. It's just not worrying or thinking about it too much. As long as you're doing the very basic processes of watching the ball, you know, putting the putting the bad balls away, then I feel I feel like you you do all the work before before the game. So you should have confidence in your in yourself that you know you've done all the work. It's just about now just going out watching the ball and doing the very basics and letting everything else take over. Um, I think that that really helps in pressurized situations. You know, if you're you know seven eight down and you still got another 30, 30 runs to win, if you're level headed and you're not making rash decisions, then you, the chances are you're probably going to come out on top rather than someone who is, you know, letting the pressure get to them. They're doing things maybe they wouldn't do normally if if they would have a level head about a situation. 100%. And in your view, how much does body language also come into that? Because you mentioned beforehand about having that that slow walk, almost puffing out your chest, displaying this air of, of confidence. And I think some players almost describe it as arrogance at times in terms of yeah. players going out there and almost expecting themselves to do well. How much of an influence do you think body language does have in, in terms of the game of cricket? Yeah, I think it's massive, personally. Because if you, as the bowler, if you're seeing a batsman who has a positive body language and is, you know, looking a bit sort of confident, you're thinking, even if you're not trying to think, it probably subconsciously you're thinking like you have less of a chance of getting them out. Whereas someone who's a bit, you know, nervous and timid in their in their body languages, then that's when probably, especially like a fastball, you go on, you go on the hunt for them. And it, it's almost, if the batter has a positive body language, the bowlers will be more negative and vice versa. Um, so I think it's massively important um, in the mind game aspects. I'm not too sure technically if it makes that much of a difference. Well, I would agree in terms of the, the psychological aspects of the game because it's something which crops up time and time and time again on this platform. It's the way in which you carry yourself. And if you do go out there, in particular with the bat in hand, even as a bowler though, but I'll speak about that in a second, but when you're a batter and you go out to the crease, again, if you do look nervous, if you do look timid, for a fast bowler, they are licking their lips. They are thinking they will release an absolute rocket which is going to cannon into your stumps and they'll send you back first ball. If you come out there with an air of confidence, with an air of belief in your own game, it does have an impact. It really does, not just on yourself, but on the opposition and, of course, on your team as well. And the exact same thing can be said for bowlers. I always mention this, right, when you're out there in the middle and let's say you've just hit a boundary, which bowler would you rather face? One who's, you know, having a bit of a, a meltdown on the pitch, they're kicking the ground in frustration, they've got their head bowed, they look almost defeated. Or would you rather face someone who looks confident and assured in their bowling? Because I know which one I would rather face. It'd be <laughs> the first one, definitely. Really? So as a bowler as well, it's so, so important, even if, if inside, and trust me, I've had this feeling a hell of a lot, right, even at, at my level, which is very low, when you bowl a bad ball and you're just thinking, oh, for goodness sake, I wish I could have that one back, you can't allow the opposition to see that. You've got yeah. to have this veneer of invincibility. So... Again, I do think that's something important to just touch upon in terms of body language and, of course, that side of this wonderful sport. But, George, before we get into any more chats about the, the psychological aspects of the game, because I imagine, to be honest, we can touch upon that in more detail later on. I did mention right at the start of the podcast about your involvement on the UCCE scheme. And this is something which we speak about an awful lot on the podcast. It's something which 
I'm a massive promoter of, to be honest, because it's yeah. given countless cricketers a second chance or even their first chance in county so cricket itself. So in, in terms of that scheme, first and foremost, how did you get yourself onto the UCCE programme at Oxford? Uh in my first year, I didn't I didn't make it on. It's always tough as a as a first year student getting on there with players already at the university. Um, I did end up playing a couple of games towards the back end through my um, ability to keep, which I wouldn't have I wouldn't have played if I was just a sole batsman alone. It's because um, the keeper was uh, we didn't actually have a full keeper, so I think they were just trialing a few trialing and airing a few few things in the first year. Um, and then through playing and doing okay in those couple of games I played, um, I just got on the got on the system and yeah, it's it's designed for people who are either in the minor county setup, you know, good level of first team club, or even higher. You know, you see, especially at Loughborough Uni, you see quite a few pros who are balancing their degree and being on the and the UCC is a perfect way for them to do that. 100% and someone in, in recent years who I just think of is, is Nathan Bowley at Leicestershire. Yeah. So he was balancing both, obviously, at Leicestershire and, of course, at Loughborough. And I did just want to touch upon the UCE scheme in a lot of, of detail for today's episode of the podcast because I do think you can give us some great insights into the programme itself. So first and foremost, in terms of the trial process, how yeah. do you actually get into a UCCE team in the first place? Because I don't think that's something which... We've actually detailed no, on this platform I'm, before. I'm not. I'm not too sure if it varies from university to university. But the the way we we do things is you meet the coach. Well, I met the the coach Graham Charlesworth on on the open day, or like when I went to visit the uni. Got his, you know, met him. Got that connection. Um, he then sort of looks at your previous stats and whatever. Will invite you to a a few trials. Um, so it's normally about four four or five trials to get through into the into the system um probably quite similar to a few other cricketing setups really um and as i said i'm not sure that's any different at other ucce universities fair enough i mean i think it is i would say it is somewhat universal actually because we have we have heard about trials before but in terms of the trial process as i said i don't think we'd actually gone into any more detail other than that to yeah. be honest but in terms of that next step then, so obviously having trialled and getting in to the ECC 11, again, what does that process entail in terms of training, in terms of commitments to this scheme? What is expected of you as a UCC um, cricketer? So th this the system is designed to effectively give you the same or as, as close to as what a professional cricketer would be doing. So you have the option to train every single day whether that be early mornings or book yourselves in afternoons um and you have your nutrition we're supported by sporting wellness charities well so you have your um psychologists strength and conditioning coaches so yeah there's a there's a huge like level of support there for you um however that you know it's, it's really up to the individual how much they want to commit to it and in terms of that commitment, obviously you've got time, which is a massive factor, isn't it? Of course, if you do want to train every single day and, and maximise the use of those facilities and, of course, yeah. that programme, then you can by the sounds of it. But 
in terms of cost as well, does it cost you you much money to to get involved in this game? Uh, it is off the top of my head about 150 quid for the whole year, and that's playing as well. Um, so transport to games, hotels if you're playing, you know, up in Durham, Leeds. Um, so yeah, I think it's a bargain with the co- level of coaching you're getting and the uh, things that are, you know, there for you to use. 150 pounds is incredible, really. It certainly is, and it really is just such a pivotal aspect of the cricketing pyramid in England and Wales, isn't it? You mentioned Leeds, Bradford, you've got Cardiff, you've got Durham, Loughborough, obviously Oxford as well. There's so many different centres up and down the country who allow these cricketers to have that taste of a professional environment. And Mm. in terms of the programme itself, George, how would you actually describe the programme itself in terms of its usefulness, in terms of its effectiveness? Are you a fan? Of the UCC East game, yeah, uh, hugely. I think it's massively important to the development of young cricketers who also, you know, if they're pushing to be a professional, they also get a degree out of it if they don't make it. So there's something to fall back on. Um, I think you only have to really look at how many current pros there are in the circuit in all different sorts of counties who have gone through the the system. Um, top of my head, in recent years, we've had. Toby Greatwood from Middlesex, Joe Gordon, Kent, and Ed Middleton who at uh, Gloucester. Um, those are three just in the last couple of years who have been been pros, and then a number of guys playing county second team cricket as well. Exactly, there's loads, aren't there? To be honest, and that's just Oxford. That's just yeah. Oxford, right? If we <laughs> if we count some other some universities, right? Loughborough, for example. So Hassan Azad, so many <laughs> James Bracey, Michael Burgess, Sam Cook, just to name four. Durham as well, as a Warwickshire fan, I know a couple have come through that scheme with the likes of Chris Benjamin, Michael Booth as well, who's Mm. also been involved in that particular scheme. So it is absolutely vital in terms of that English cricketing ecosystem and producing that next generation of players. And the other key thing, George, which I'm so glad you mentioned about, is the education side of things. Because unfortunately, the vast majority of those in the UCE scheme or even just in, in village cricket will never make it as a professional. But yeah. what the UCCE scheme does provide is that backup. It's the education element. And it is something which I always, always recommend to anybody, right? Regardless of whether you want to be a professional cricketer or any professional sports person, it's a cutthroat, cutthroat business. It's professional sport. You can have your contract taken away from you in a matter of, of minutes, to be yeah. honest, or a matter of performances, depending on on how you do. There might not even just be a place in that team for you at the time. So it's always key to have that backup. And in terms of your backup, if you don't mind me asking, what yeah. is the degree in? Uh, degree is in sports coaching and physical education. So it's a good degree. Yeah. Originally wanted to go into teaching and then change my mind, which I'm sure we'll come into later, later in the podcast. Um, yeah. And also just to touch on that, you know, backup plan. I went to um, Millfield School, so down in Somerset, very sporty cricket. And there's there's a number of people in my year at school or just the year above who went straight from Millfield into um, Somerset. So Lewis Goldsworthy, Casey Aldridge and uh, Ned Leonard, who didn't get the chance to go to university. I mean, they're all they're all very good players and, you know, shouldn't have any issues with, with their contracts. Um, but, you know, hypothetically speaking if something did go wrong and one of them got injured then you know there there isn't a lot there to to fall back on and that is the issue isn't it 
in terms of young cricketers, it does pose a little bit of a dilemma. And actually, this is very, very on topic because last night we saw that Tom McIntosh up at Durham had actually announced his retirement from the game in order to pursue his university degree in, in real estate. So it is something which a young cricketer really does have to balance in those early years. And it's a tough decision, I imagine, for a lot of people. But again, that's why this scheme is so good. You almost have the choice made for you. You've got your degree, but at the end of yeah. it, you've also got your chance to experience professional cricket. And in terms of your highlights from your time in the programme so far, George, if you could just pick one, what yeah. do you say has been your, your favourite moment from your time? I don't even have to go so Durham, away. Durham away was um, incredible. Probably my favourite cricketing experience of my life, to be honest with you. Um, we, yeah, long, long journey up to Durham, uh, got there. Big night out the night before, which was fun. <laughs> turn up to turn up in the morning, drop everything in the gloves, and then we 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 beat Durham. That was very good. Also, the extra we we go down to extra for a varsity game where you know there's a massive crowd watching, um, which was pretty. I haven't played cricket in front of you know many you know big crowds before, so that that was quite a good experience to to do. Yeah, just to touch, speaking of Exeter, um, I think it's actually really interesting now how, you know, you look at their their cricketing setup. In in their own right, they should probably be a, considered a UCC university. If you look at players that they've had come through, they've had just recently John Turner, Luke Charlesworth, Don Goodman, uh, Ben Wells. And, that, you know, that's a number of current professional cricketers there. So in a sort of counter argument to the scheme system it's since the mccu or sorry since the mcc stopped funding it has become ucce other universities are setting up very good um cricketing setups which i think which i think is great it really is it's important isn't it for the future of the game to have mm. these different centers to have these different hubs and different setups isn't it in terms of generating that next generation of English and Welsh cricketers. And in terms of the scheme itself, George, I mean, we've mentioned quite a lot of the positive elements of it, but just like with anything, there's there's positives and, of course, negatives. There's drawbacks to this scheme. And in particular, one of the things which I suppose you could say is the lack of the, the first-class matches now. That is something which a number of players have spoken about in recent years, the fact yeah. that you're yeah. no longer considered a first-class cricketer in those no. warm-up matches pre-season. So in terms of those more difficult elements in the UCCE scheme, what do you say are the biggest drawbacks and maybe the more difficult aspects of this programme? Um, well, that's, a good, that's a good question. <laughs> I'd, I'd say, well, early mornings, they're, they're not ideal <laughs> for uni. But um, yeah, no, that's tough. I think the, the, the negative is when you play in those county games. And I mean, we lost to Northants in two days last year. It doesn't it doesn't like give a good account of how good the program actually is. Maybe sometimes because we all, you know, being a part of it, it was it, last last year it was great to see all the build up and how good the good the setup is, and then to get to Northants and lose in two days, and then that's what people see. Like it's on the ECB apps and. That's what most people see. So yeah, that's probably it. It's just the the county games probably don't give a, the fairest reflection of how good the system is. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that to be honest, because we have we have utilised some of the scorecards from the past, and yeah, quite a few two day games in there to be honest. But yeah. at the same time, what people do have to remember is that these teams are made up of students. So, for example, you can't have the same level of dedication compared to a professional county setup. And let's face mm-hmm. it, some cricketers, in particular at the county level, are just streets better. They've been playing the game for years. They've got more experience. They're just yeah. more talented at that stage in their life. So it is something to take with a pinch of salt in terms of those particular fixtures. But again, just that experience playing against the best of the best is great. It really does set you up for yeah. the future. And of course, if you have a good performance in those games, it can also act as a catalyst. So again, yeah, if you right. are involved in these schemes, just try your best. Honestly, take it seriously. Don't go into it and think, all oh, right, it's just a jolly and you know, can go out there and try and baz ball it all over the place and yeah. act as I'm the greatest cricketer on the planet without putting in the hard work. If you put in a good performance, you can put yourself in the shop window for trials for second 11 games it really can be very, very crucial. And in terms of county cricket now, George, because we've spoken primarily about the UCCE programme there, in terms of the county circuits, have you had any experiences in terms of trials, in terms of academies, in terms of age group crickets in the 18 first-class county setup? Is that something which you've experienced so far or or has that opportunity not materialised just yet in um, terms of the, the county stuff? Yeah, sorry, just uh, quick. I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but just quickly tracking back to the first class games against the UCCs. I remember um, last year actually Cardiff, Cardiff actually beat Glamorgan. So I think yes, they did. So you had a number of pros there: um, Acer Tribe, Zav, I mean Zavi Clark's, Joe Clark's younger brother got a hundred there, so he's put himself up for second eleven opportunities. Um, myself personally, I've always well until very recently because i don't qualify anymore always been involved with um wiltshire so from age groups to um adult stuff i've been i've been with wiltshire um which has been great minor counties cricket i i don't know it, it's very good cricket but i'm not sure how good that is for getting people into the first class game I, I, it, it does obviously do the do the job for a few guys but probably not so many um and then personally, yeah, I'm hoping to go up for a, you know, it's going to come out of nowhere, hopefully go up to a trial um, to a first-class county. Um, not not too sure how much I can really say about that yet, but yeah, I'm, I'm, un, I'm unsure at the moment. Well, fingers crossed that it goes well, because who knows? Could be seeing you in second 11 cricket or indeed in, in first 11 proper. You never know. That's the thing. You've just got to take <laughs> well, these opportunities. Really. That, that's the thing, though. At this stage, at this stage of your career, George, you've got to be proactive. And again, that's yeah. something which a lot of cricketers recommend. In particular, ones who have been through either the UCCE or they've even just come up through through club cricket, for example, like a Richard Gleeson or a mm-hmm. Jake Lintott in recent years. The national counties, as well, are also a pretty good avenue, to be honest. And I, I do agree in terms of the the effectiveness at times because. Again, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. They aren't ridiculously well-funded. The facilities aren't on par with those of the first-class counties. But it's just about putting yourself in the shop window. And for certain national counties, they do have these almost partnerships, don't they? They have between counties so. as well. So like Wiltshire playing against Gloucestershire. So it's like quite similar to UCC playing against North Ants or whoever. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily about the funding. It's whether how much 
counties actually look at minor counties cricket. Um, where, where do you stand on that, if you don't mind me just interjecting? Because that is something which has popped up in the past in terms of maybe some clubs not taking national counties too seriously. In terms of that debate, where do you stand on almost their their effectiveness um, and whether or not they should be a, a parameter or not? Yes, they should. You know, it's a very high standard of cricket and you're playing three-day matches as well. So it's a good indicator of how someone's going. You've, you're playing a strong level of cricket and doing well. Um, I'm I'm not sure how much I personally like the system of it. Um, minor counties, I think, you know, it's great if you want to do it and progress your cricket and play at a high level. Personally, for me, I'm not, you know, I could, I could really just give or take it. I'm, I'm not too too fussed over it, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Again, it is different for different players, though. I mean, we've had players on the podcast who, for example, with Staffordshire. Staffordshire is a great example of this. And Oxfordshire, actually, because they've got that partnership with Sussex, who playing for the national counties does make a massive difference. But then again, I suppose with, with some clubs, there is that attitude of, oh, well, it's only the national counties. We'll just go to our academy or we'll look at second 11 lads. So... Again, it is something to just take into consideration, and you know, I do wonder if we'll see a little bit of an attitude shift I could, I heading could almost, into the future. Yeah, I could almost go as far as saying that playing Prem cricket and doing well in Prem club cricket gives you more exposure to first-class cricket and playing second 11 games. See, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I've, I've seen people who haven't played any minor county cricket, have no interest in doing it, but do well club cricket, and they get through that way probably more so than minor counties players. Yeah, which is fascinating, isn't it, to be honest? Because mm. you'd think in terms of the, the English cricketing pyramid and the structure that the national counties would be a great way for a lot of players. And it is for a number of players. So, for example, Jake Lintot, you know, he's been playing for Wiltshire in recent years and it has helped him in terms of getting into the shop window in some ways. But, yeah, it is interesting in terms of, of how different teams and different clubs and different regions actually view their effectiveness that's probably a podcast topic in itself to be honest in terms <laughs> yeah. of the national counties but i think the important thing to just touch upon before we discuss the future george and talk about 2024 is that again as a cricketer be proactive and just take your opportunities because yeah. whether that is through the ucce whether it's through age group cricket whether it's through trials whether it's through playing premier league crickets whether it's through playing in the national counties you've just got to bang the door down put yourself in that shot window Make those opportunities Definitely. happen. It's as simple as that. And uh, if the they don't lose by doing that, exactly. That's the attitude you've got to have. And there's going to be disappointments. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad performances. But the best players almost find that inner resolve, don't they? They find that steel to just keep on going, keep on going, keep yeah. pursuing this dream. And who knows? Life is funny. All it no, takes exactly. is for an injury. All it takes is for an excellent performance. All it takes. It's for one connection in this sport and all of a sudden your life could be changing. So just pursue the dream. That'd be my advice for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. And George talking of that dream in terms of the future. So heading into next season and of course the years beyond, what yeah. are you looking to achieve in the game itself? Because I'm guessing through that trial, the end goal is obviously get a county contract, play professional cricket. But in terms of the near future, what would you like to achieve in the summer yeah. of 2024? I mean, I'm, I'm quite realistic in the fact, <laughs> you know, it probably won't happen. So it's important to have other things going on and just enjoy cricket more than anything. I feel like if you're enjoying cricket, it doesn't 
really matter where you are with it. You know, you can, I, I could be quite happy playing Sunday cricket at my dad's team. You know, I, I get as much enjoyment playing out of that as I do playing club cricket on a Saturday or a higher. So my ambitions this year is really just to focus on club cricket, um, doing well for my new club I just signed for. So that's that's my that's my priority. Um, whatever comes from that, I'll just take in my stride. And but the first thing is making sure I do well for club cricket. But yeah, as I was saying, whatever comes from that, I'll take in my stride and snatch up with open open arms and you know put everything into. Absolutely, and that is the mentality. It's the approach. It's the attitude they simply have to have because you never know. This is the thing: if you give up on it and you don't pursue it, you'll never know in the future how things might have panned out. All it yeah. takes, as I said, is that one big performance in club cricket. Who knows? George Edwards could have a county contract <laughs> in years to come, but obviously for the time being. <laughs> you never know, though. This is the thing, yeah. George. I mean, look in Australia, right? Genuinely look in Australia and look at someone like Josh Brown, right? Who's now killing it for the Brisbane Heat He's come, yeah. in, in the Big Bash. He's a testament to that. Richard Gleeson is a testament to it here in the UK. Mm. Jake Lintot's probably another testament to it as well. You never know. That's the thing, yeah. but you've got to keep on pursuing it. You've got to keep on banging the door down. So, yeah, don't give up the dreams. Don't give up the aspirations. But aside from the on-field stuff, we did also mention before the podcast started that you'd gone into the world of, of cricket agency, which is really interesting, to be yeah. honest, because we don't speak about it enough on the podcast, but it is also a pivotal aspect of a lot of players' yeah. journeys, those overseas placements and getting new clubs. So in terms of that opportunity... How did that first manifest itself, per se? Um, so the, the company's called, I'll give them some free ad- advertisement, <laughs> CrickX. Um, and what it does is it basically helps players out. So it primarily helps players out who would, club players, minor counties players, county players who want to be placed. Say you're an English club player and you want to go and play on Australia. That's That's what we help you do or vice versa, Australia to England. But it's not just that, you know, you can go to England and you place you pretty much more over the world, like all over the world. You've got connection, as you know, even if you want to go and play Netherlands, we could sort that out for you. So really, really could. It's a really good thing to have. Um, and I think back to when I went out to Australia, if it wasn't for me going on the Darren Lehman Academy, I would have been stuck with not knowing what to do or where to go. So having something like this in place is is really important. I feel, I feel, and it all came about because the um, when I was ca- uh, captain at my previous cricket club, um, the, the the guy Stephen who runs it got in contact with me saying about overseas players, and we just sort of briefly talked. Since you know, back and forth since then, I said you know it'd be great if I could get some work experience with you to help boost my you know, TV and see what sport this sport agency world's all about. Exactly. And again, it's being proactive, isn't it? In terms, again, the opportunity and experiencing this industry. And in terms of this particular career path and in terms of this work experience you've had so far, George, what do you say has been the, the biggest lesson you've learned from your time at CrickX? Um, my role's sort of reaching out to people. So I'll, I'll be messaging people on Facebook <laughs> So I'm not. I'm not sure. It's, it's pretty. My my task is pretty straightforward. Um, I'm not sure there's been too much going wrong with that, that can go wrong with that at the moment. Um, but yeah, 
I'll have to I'll have, I'll have to get back to you when I've had more experience to do other things. Oh, fair enough. I mean, you never know. Again, this could be another career path, couldn't it? And something that you do pursue in a bit more detail Definitely. later down the line. And in terms of this particular industry, is this something which you do envision in the future? Let's say, for example, that the professional journey doesn't quite come to fruition. Would you want to become a player that's agent my, or someone in that yeah. particular industry? Yeah, that's my main um, aim at the moment is to to do that. Um, that's my that's my goal at the moment. And then, you know, as I was saying um, just a couple of minutes ago, whatever happens in my cricket happens and I'll... But yeah, that's what I want to do is sports agency. So, Oh, Brill. Well, George, obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counts Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck with both the player agency and, of course, the season in 2024 because... Yeah, it's fast approaching, isn't it? Let's face it. So we mentioned right at the start of the podcast, as soon as January swings by, all of a sudden it feels like the cricket season is around yeah. the corner. And come March and April, you know, you're back in the in the in the full swing, aren't you? So yeah, wishing you all the very best of luck with that, mate. And in terms of, of just anything, you know, closing, anything that you want to end on, is there any final kind of topic that you want to cover in this episode? Because we've covered a lot, haven't we, over yeah. the course of these last fifty minutes. That's true. Um, no, I'm, not, I'm not, not not off the top of my head that I can I can think of particularly. I think we it's been a good podcast. Actually, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, yeah, so have I. I think it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been brilliant, hasn't it, in terms of the way in which we've we've discussed all sorts about, yeah. about the game in terms of the national counties, of course, cricket agency, playing days as well, and of course, your time in the UCCE scheme. So it's been a very very eye opening episode and. Yeah, the psychological aspects as well was very, very interesting to discuss. So, yeah, you're always welcome back here at the no, Counter Cricket Podcast much. in the future, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And in terms of your socials, just for anyone out there who does want to give you a follow, George, do you have yeah. any socials to plug or promote? Any websites, um, businesses, social media channels, anything yeah. like that? No, if you're if you're keen on playing cricket overseas, then hit hit up um, CrickX on Facebook. Um, you know, Steve Stephen Hurst is the guy to contact. I'll so just go on the website. Um, in terms of my socials, I'm, I'm probably, probably all good for shout, giving those a shout out. <laughs> Fair enough. Modest, modesty to end the podcast, but yeah, George, we'll give those a bit of a plug in the link down below. So, folks, if you want to go and check out CrickX and the work they do, and of course the work that George does, please feel free to click on those links in the podcast description below. But that is essentially it from us to here at the Crown Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.